Let's get into our Bibles now. Go ahead and open up to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. We are continuing on in our series, Strangers and Exiles, this idea of living in a world that is not our home. We began our series two weeks ago, and so far we've taken a quick glance at First Peter each time, looking at the first two verses, as well as the uh, sort of theme verses in chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. And then we quickly flipped pages to many other passages uh, to begin forming this biblical understanding of exile and what that looks like to live out. We wanted to take the time to develop this understanding because this is how Peter starts his letter, by addressing believers as exiles. From what we gathered in the past two weeks, we know that God, from the book of Genesis and on, has called out people from their comfort and homeland to be strangers to the world and part of his chosen people. These chosen people of God go through highs and lows throughout the history of the Old Testament. And even as they go into an actual exile under the foreign rule of powerful kings, God is faithful and preserves his called out people as this full remnant. These people are urged by God and his prophets to remember God's faithfulness, to persevere and live by faith, even in the terrible circumstances that they encountered. So now that we're beginning to actually make our way through 1 Peter, starting today, we'll see this idea of exile was actually somewhat understood by the believers back then. But it's not so much for us today. We've had the opportunity to live in this nation that for a long time lined up quite well with Christian beliefs and doctrines and ideas. But as our culture and society continues to change, we have all seen and some have even personally experienced how our faith and convictions are being challenged, mocked, and even shamed. We should have known all along that we are distinctly different from our non-believing fellow Americans or any other people group that does not put their faith in God. But now we are seeing it unfold before our eyes that we truly are strangers here. We are exiles in a land that does not know and worship the one true God. This was true for Peter's audience too. These believers, they were dispersed throughout different cities in what is modern-day northern Turkey, and they were not living in a culture that was in favor of Christianity. Most scholars say Peter's letter was not addressing Christians facing state-sponsored persecution. Roman Empire hadn't, like, turned that way quite yet. But it was coming soon. And right now, in this time that Peter's writing to them, it was more of a time of ridicule, shame, mistreatment, and so on. Christians did not fit into the culture. They didn't line up with the norms of society. So they were strangers and harassed accordingly so just as we are heading that direction in our current time. So Peter's letter should be quite fitting for us as God's chosen and called out people, strangers and exiles in this world that is not our home. Now, Peter's point in referring to his brothers and sisters in Christ as exiles was to remind them of who they are in Christ, the called out ones that their home and their hope was not in this temporary world. 
It was also a reminder pointing back to what God's faithful people had endured in the past and how God has always been faithful. Peter's letter to these exiles, strangers, and aliens, as we'll see throughout his letter, will build off of and add to what we have seen throughout the rest of Scripture. So today we'll be reading verses 3 through 12 in chapter 1, in which Peter starts by reminding these scattered exiles to rejoice in the living and secure hope they have in Christ. This is a reminder to rejoice. So I'm going to pray for us real quick, and then we will read this morning's passage. Father, thank you for this morning. Uh, thank you for the rain, Lord. Um, I thank you more that we can come here on Sunday mornings to gather and worship you. That we don't have to fear anything. Um, we can gather freely and sing praises to you, to one another, to hear from your word, Lord. Father, I pray that as we look at your word this morning, that uh, our hearts and our minds can be open to what your word says and what your Holy Spirit is working in us. Father, I pray that we can be soft and moldable, seeking you first, that we can just be the image bearers that you desire us to be. I just pray that all we say and do glorifies you. Let's pray in your name. Amen. Okay, so let's read 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 12. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. You are being guarded by God's power through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. You rejoice in this, even though now for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief in various trials, so that the proven character of your faith, more valuable than gold, which, though perishable, is refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though not seeing him now, you believe in him, and you rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy. You are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that would come to you searched and carefully investigated they inquired into what time or what circumstances the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating when he testified in advance to the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you. These things have now been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Angels long to catch a glimpse of these things. So Peter shares quite a bit here. And we'll work our way through it. But the first thing that I want to point out is that Peter begins this portion of his letter with a doxology or a hymn of praise, almost a song of praise. After addressing his letter to God's chosen people, living as exiles dispersed abroad, the ones who have been saved through the work of the Spirit and are the new covenant people of God by the blood of Jesus, with, the, with these people in mind, Peter chooses to begin with this hymn of praise. Now, he could have began the meat of his letter with multiple different possibilities. He could have started with encouraging these set-apart and new covenant people to remain faithful. 
or warning them against conforming with the world or giving them an exciting update on what other churches are doing in the land. But Peter, inspired by the Holy Spirit, begins by praising God, writing, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Rather than getting to the next point or topic that Peter wants to cover, he models to his recipients and to us today that in light of what he records in weighty theological truths in verse 2, we should then naturally turn to worship and praise God for who he is and what he has done. Praise God that we have been saved through the power of the Spirit by the blood of Christ. And as we read just a minute ago, this will pour over into more marvelous truths in the following verses and serve as a solid foundation for the rest of Peter's letter. This is a reminder to rejoice in who God is and what he has done for his chosen and scattered exiles throughout the world. And it's not just a reminder like the ones that we set on our phones. It's not something that we just need to remember for the next day. No, this is a heart and soul reminder. This is a reminder that makes you stop in your tracks, stop the random thoughts bouncing around in your head, and pause to remember the new life you have in Christ. I have to write this on my hand sometimes. I literally write right here, new life, on the side of my thumb. Because I get so distracted or so focused on something else, and for so long, I I need it right in front of my eyes. Because this isn't just some simple and negligible fact, but a reality that has instantly, continuously, and eternally changed our heart and soul. As 1 Peter 2, 9 through 10 says, and we're probably going to have this memorized by the end of this series. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. You had not received mercy. But now you have received mercy. We are now God's people, a royal priesthood. That's every believer, not just the ones that try hard or look good. Every single believer is a part of God's royal priesthood to proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And we need to be reminded of this. Otherwise, whatever we're experiencing firsthand in our day-to-day lives is just going to tell us who we are and what's most important. This is why scriptures like Psalm 1 verse 2 tell us to delight in God's word and to meditate on it day and night. If we aren't continuously reminded of who God is and what he has done, we'll be tempted to either fall right into the patterns of the world and look and act no different or we'll be wrecked with anxiety and doubting God's faithfulness because we've lost sight of who he is and what he has done. So let's pay attention. Let's listen and see what Peter's reminder to rejoice is all about. There's three things. First one is, this salvation is a secure and ready inheritance. This salvation that we have is a secure and ready inheritance. And we're going to read verses 3 through 5, and I'm going to read it slowly, because Peter says a lot in these, three, these couple verses, just so that we can have, you know, 
a chance at attempting and processing all that he crams in here. So, verses 3 through 5 in 1 Peter chapter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. You are being guarded by God's power through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. So we covered the doxology aspect of this already, that Peter is praising God because of his great mercy. But now we need to put together all of these aspects of this great mercy that Peter is praising God for. This is one epic chunk of truth that is rich with the promises of God and his salvation. Peter begins with, God has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. For the exiles of Peter's day, he is reminding them of the new birth, the new life they have with God as an adopted son or daughter. Peter's language of new birth is reminiscent of John's conversation with Nicodemus. Jesus tells Nicodemus in John, 3, or John chapter 3, verses 3 and 5, that no one can see or enter the kingdom of God unless they are born again or born of the Spirit. And here we see those who have been born again. And Peter is encouraging them to remember this new birth and all that it entails. They are children of God and truly are exiles because they are a part of God's kingdom and have no ties to this world anymore. God is their Lord, King, Savior, and Father through this new birth, this new life they have from putting their faith in Jesus. And Peter adds a sense of comfort found in this new birth by connecting it directly with a living hope because Jesus rose and conquered sin and death. This is not just some hopeful wish their hoping turns out in their favor. 2 Corinthians 4.14 says, For we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us with Jesus. This is a guaranteed future that they can look forward to and cling to when the world is against them. This is a living hope. Before anyone puts their faith in Christ, they have only false and insecure hopes. Hopes of a good and comfortable life, a good job and a good income, a good spouse, a good home, good kids that make good decisions, good health, and so on. Yet all of these hopes are merely wishes that we have no control over, and most of them will fall through at some point. And they all fall through once we're face to face with death. For what good does money or health insurance do once you're on your deathbed? But for those born again, and because of Jesus' victory over sin and death, there is a living hope, a hope that is not like the world's definition of hope. The biblical definition of hope is a certain future or outcome. This is what God's chosen exiles have. As the writer of Hebrews says in chapter 6, verse 19, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. Because as Peter says in verse 4, this hope is an inheritance kept and secured in heaven for them 
and for us. He uses three words to describe this inheritance. Imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. The encouragement for the believers in Peter's time and for us today is that this inheritance is invincible. It will not spoil. There is no time limit on it. It will not be tampered with, and it will not fade away, for it is eternal. Whatever believers faced back then and whatever we are facing or will face today, we can find hope and joy in knowing that we have a guaranteed inheritance for us as children of God in heaven. So our hope does not lie in the temporary and imperfect things of this world, but in the perfect, prepared, and ready inheritance for us in heaven, our eternal salvation and restoration with God. And Peter gives one more encouraging promise in all of this. We are being guarded by God's power through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. God promises to help his people endure, to be strengthened by his power through his spirit, even when the world is against them. Verse 5 is a reassurance to God's chosen people that he will hold them fast until the end. We don't need to fear what this world will throw at us, for they cannot overcome the power of God and the secure inheritance of salvation he has in store for us in heaven. We must not let our feelings or our experiences or our circumstances undermine the certainty of our inheritance because God secures our hope and salvation. Instead of letting your doubts win, doubt your doubts with the promises of God from his word. He guards us by his power. He provides the imperishable and unfading inheritance kept for us. He gives us new birth and a living hope. He will be faithful until the end. And what a glorious day that will be. What we see here, and what Peter is telling his fellow believers, is this full picture of our salvation as believers of Christ. We have this new life in Christ while we are here on earth, but our salvation and new life reaches its consummation or its fullness when we receive our heavenly and imperishable inheritance of eternal life with God. We will dwell with him in a new heaven and new earth in which, as Revelation 21.4 says, death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. This is the full picture of our salvation, and it is secure and ready. The second part of Peter's reminder to rejoice is the unmatched worth of proven faith. The unmatched worth of proven faith. I'm going to read verses, or starting at verse 6 in First uh, Peter chapter 1 through verse 9. Peter writes, You rejoice in this, even though now for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief in various trials, so that the proven character of your faith, more valuable than gold, which though perishable is refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though not seeing him now, you believe in him, and you rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy, because you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Carrying on from verses 3 through 5, 
Peter says, you rejoice in this, in this new birth, this living hope, this secure inheritance. And we should, and we do rejoice in God's amazing salvation. But then comes the reality check. Peter does not say that in light of all that God has done by his great mercy, that we will never experience suffering, or that once you're born again, life is just all sunshine and rainbows. What he does say is that now, for a short time, you suffer grief from various trials. Sometimes we carry the false notion that our lives should be good and happy, and no bad thing will ever come our way. But give it enough time and reality will prove itself true. Believer or unbeliever, we all face trials and suffering in this life. But Peter encourages his readers here, though, saying that as believers, these trials, they result in a proven character of your faith. Just as fire is used to refine precious gold, trials and suffering refine our faith, which Peter says is far valuable than gold. This is a common theme in the Bible. Brandon shared last week in James, in which Right off the bat, James says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. So do we rejoice? Do we have joy even while suffering through trials? Can we have heavenly joy and earthly grief at the same time? Or do we try and flee from trials? Do we see that fleeing from trials is actually missing out on the refining God has in store for us? Do we see the incomparable value of a proven and mature faith in God? That, as Peter says, results in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus. Peter encourages the believers by saying that even though they never met or even saw Jesus, they still love him. And believe in him in the midst of these trials. They rejoice with this inexpressible and glorious joy because they are receiving the goal of their faith, the salvation of their souls. Peter reminds them of the truth of what Paul says in Romans 8.28. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. And we can remind ourselves as well when we see our trials and our suffering that, we, that they have redemptive and refining purposes. But let's say that you can't see that right now. You can't see the good that comes from the bad. Life is just bad right now. I've been there. I'm sure we've all been there at certain points in our lives. I actually used to dislike Romans 8.28. Because to me, it seemed to try and lessen or ignore or skip past the bad or the evil that we experience. But time and experience has changed that for me. I see this verse as taking head on any bad or evil that comes our way. And I embrace this promise and truth whenever suffering comes my way. For we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. 
But if you haven't seen good come from bad yet, I urge you to take a look at God's proof of good coming from bad. Proof that he takes upon himself. See, God became man, Jesus. He was perfect, good, he was righteous, gracious, he was sinless. And yet, he prayed, he was arrested, he was spit on, he was mocked, he was whipped, he was beaten, he was bloodied, he was bruised, he was stretched out and had nails driven through his hands and feet to hang naked on a wooden cross. And then he bore the wrath of God, humanity's sin for all time, and then he died. To Jesus' followers, all hope was lost, gone, done. It was bad. They didn't know what was next. All they knew was that their Messiah, their Savior from God, was dead, done. Good was coming. Resurrection was coming. Forgiveness was coming. Freedom from sin was coming. An eternal hope was coming. Salvation was coming. God's glorious plan of redemption and restoration was coming. As Joseph, the betrayed son of Jacob, said in Genesis 50, verse 20, you planned evil against me. God planned it for good. So if you're in that place right now, when you see no good, it's just bad. You've been betrayed. You have lost. You've been hurt. You have failed. I urge you to cling to God as the anchor for your soul. For he is the only one who can work all things together for the good of those who love him. Nothing else in this world can. God is the one who can work all things together for the good of those who love him. Though we suffer, though we face trials, though we are exiles and aliens in this world, good has come and will come in fullness at the end with the salvation of our souls. For we have an unmatched and proven faith. Peter's final reminder to rejoice is give thanks for the gospel. Give thanks for the gospel. Sort of a no-brainer, but um, let's read verses 10 through 12 in 1 Peter chapter 1. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that would come to you searched and carefully investigated they inquired into what time or what circumstances the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating when he testified in advance to the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you. These things have now been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Angels long to catch a glimpse of these things. What we know is the gospel, post-birth, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, is greater than anything the prophets of the Old Testament or the angels imagined. 
That's what Peter's saying. The prophets wanted to know when this good news was going to come. They understood that the Messiah or the Christ would suffer and that goodness and glory would follow from that. But the Holy Spirit revealed to them that all of their prophecies, inquiries, studies, and investigations were not for themselves or their time period, but for a future generation. The generation of people Peter is writing to and us today. Peter encourages these exiles by saying, They are more privileged than the prophets or angels, for they have heard, known, and experienced the life-altering good news of the gospel. They and we are the heirs, the recipients of the work and the message of the prophets. We have a clearer picture and a clearer understanding of salvation than they ever did. Which is just weird. They're prophets. These exiles may be experiencing suffering and persecution for their faith, but that pales in comparison to knowing, believing in, and experiencing the gospel. Even the angels long to catch a glimpse of these things, for they will never experience what God has done in rescuing his chosen people from sin and death. This is Peter's encouragement. God has not forgotten you. God does truly care for you. And you are witnesses and partakers of the greatest piece of history. If anything, God's prophets are the one who missed out. So, may we be given proper perspective and be rightly humbled to hear and know this gospel, this good news. That God has restored sinful people to eternal fellowship with himself through the sacrificial death and resurrection of his son. Forgiving sin so that whoever believes in him may not perish but have eternal life. This gospel that has been revealed is a living hope. It's a secure salvation kept in heaven for us. Praise God that we are the generation who knows and hears this gospel that we have been called from darkness into his marvelous light. So we ought to proclaim the praises of our mighty God and Savior to a world lost in darkness still. For what do we have to lose? We're just strangers in exile. Blessed be God for his great mercy, because we have a secure and prepared inheritance through the death and resurrection of his son. Blessed be God for his great mercy because we have an unmatched and proven faith by the strength of God. And blessed be God for his great mercy because we hear, know, believe in, and experience what prophets and angels longed to see through the work of the Spirit. This is our reminder to rejoice. Let's stand and pray. Father, you are beyond comparison. You are gracious and merciful and forgiving and just beyond what words can express. You're so good. 
Father, I pray that as we looked at your word this morning, that you can just be reminding us to rejoice in what you have done. That we have this secure and imperishable inheritance through salvation, through new birth, through new life, this living hope through the death and resurrection of your Son. Father, may that just be stirring within our hearts. Maybe just be gracious that we get to know these things. That we get to experience the power of your gospel, how it's transformed and changed our lives. Father, I pray that as we just continue to chew on these things, may this just be a reminder to rejoice. We thank you for all that you've done. We pray in your name.